uh i've got the so next next friday and then friday after the friday after that so friday three weeks uh i am going to manchester um yeah to record countdown so that's going to be great the big uh the big day is when i'm finally here but it's nearly here nearly Nearly, absolutely. Um, and for anybody who is in the Waterford area or listens online, I will be going on WLRFM this Tuesday, the fifteenth, to talk about that. So I'll be oh, sure awesome. to. I know, right? I'll be sure to plug the show as well while I'm there. So, so you're going my... on. So this this isn't just just for anyone who doesn't know. This isn't a who wants to be a millionaire. You know, you get ten people along, and one of you might get to go in the hot seat. Hmm. You're going to be on the show. Oh, I'm going to be on the show. I'm going to be sitting like right next to Anne Robinson. Like I cannot yeah, and wait. I only discovered recently it's Anne Robinson that mm. presents it. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, she uh, took over there from. Um, oh, I'm joking. Um, oh, who was the guy that did it before her? It wasn't Des Lynham. It was Nick. Nick. Nick, Nick Hewer was Nick it? Hewer. Yes, Nick you're Hewer. right. Nick Hewer from Dragons yeah. Den, um, and then of course before that was Jeff Stelling. But uh, yeah, no, I'm deadly. I'm looking forward to it. I was I'm credit cracking. I don't get to meet Rachel Riley. She's on maternity leave. I don't know who's doing that. I was going to say, now. yeah, bad timing. <laughs> I know, right? And, and, and you know, the, the kind of like, I don't know, maybe it's just because like a lot of people go, oh, my God, Countdown, that's so cool. You're going to meet Jimmy Carr. I'm like, no, not eight out of ten cats does Countdown, regular Countdown. And they go, oh, OK, well, well good luck. Hello and welcome along, dear friends and listeners, to yet another joyous occasion where we gather round and discuss another year from a bygone era. Uh, we're back once again with another episode of Reeling in Your Ears, the only podcast dedicated to the wonder of reeling in the years. Uh, to join me, as always, ahem, somewhere in Wicklow, born and raised, down in Campile is where he spends most of his days. It's the Fresh Prince of Podcasting, Simon Chadwick. Hey, Kieran, how you getting on? Oh, good. Um, so, yeah, I tried to make like a Fresh Prince intro, the intro there and then I got like two lines in. And I was like, boy, rapping is hard. Yeah, uh, it is. But- and, and you know what else is hard? Remaking Fresh Prince as a serious uh, drama. Have you heard about this? I've heard about this. What's it called? Bel Air? Is, is it yeah, a- I refuse to watch it. It's, it's yeah. a disgrace. I've, <laughs> I've, I've read bad reviews, but I've also just refused to watch it at principle. Like why you would mess with that? Like what's next? Are we going to get a... Are we going to get Saved by the Bell, the serious, you know, the oh. serious uh, drama version of Saved by the Bell, where like I don't know, Slater stabs Zach uh, <laughs> over Kelly or something? Like you know, I don't want that. I don't want a gritty. Not everything has to be gritty. Exactly. You know, some things can just be fun. Exactly. Um, I do love the old classic clip of uh, Zach and Slater having a scuffle in the hall, but it's dubbed over with that old one from uh, Dublin going, I hear, I leave it out. <laughs> <laughs> just... That clip fits so well. That that voice clip fits so well over so many videos. Oh, it does. It really does. Um, so just before we get started, I suppose I should let people know you're probably wondering why haven't you introduced the uh, rotating third this evening? Well, the long and short of it is there really is none. Um, so we kind of had a bit of a, I guess, a team huddle. Um, and we basically just decided that, you know, with COVID being kind of almost the thing of the past now, thank Christ, um, and everything opening up, you know, a lot of the people we've had on the show have been kind of comedians. And, you know, a lot of comedy gigs, they, they do happen on Fridays and Saturdays. So it's really, really hard to nail people down. Um, so it's, it's not really fair on us to, you know, have to be chopping and changing because people can't, you know, commit. And it's also fair, not fair on the, the guests if, you know, they have to turn down a paying gig, to, you know, to do this. And while we do appreciate people having to go out of their way and, you know, actually enjoy 
enjoying doing this. I understand that people have to get out there and they have to get back in the world and they've got to, you know, try and make a name for themselves. And I just, I, it just kind of got to a point where it was just like, look, do you know what? Let's just run with this and see how we go. So um, we're going to have a bit of a new format, I suppose, going forward. So there'll be certain segments in the show that, you know, are, are slightly different. And, um, you know, it'll just be myself and Simon for for the moment anyway. Um, I do plan on getting, you know, a couple of guests in maybe, because I mean, we've only got, what another 14 episodes or so to go and then you know we're pretty yeah. much done um and you know I, you know for example i know amy jackman appeared in the actual episode uh we've had her on before she appeared in an actual episode of reading in ears which is uh 2011 so when we get to that we'll probably have her on um but for the moment we'll just press on with ourselves and we do hope those of you who have stuck with us and have listened to us over the you know the last year really uh continue to enjoy um so we open up this week with Penny Ray, who talks about the numbers turning out for what you ask, a world record attempt at Kaylee dancing. Uh, the people of Cork turn out in droves to rehearse throughout the city, including Michael Flatfeet, uh, to break the world record for the most people dancing Kaylee. A total of 8,371 people dance to the Siege of Ennis uh, and make it to the Guinness World Records. I have a vague recollection of this. and I, I will go out on a limb and I'll say, I don't think the previous record was 8,370. I'm going to guess they pulled this number out of their arse. I don't imagine a big group of people trying to do this before. No, I I think they just, uh, I think they just, um, just told people to come basically and then just decided to see how many actually showed up. I, I would, I would imagine is what happened. Yeah, because, yeah, you, you know, you, you see the kind of crowds piling in. I imagine it was a kind of like, look, we'll get started when we get started. Because, you know, yourself trying to organize like five plus people to be in the same time in one place is next to impossible. Trying to get eight odd thousand of them is just not going to happen, you know. So it's just lucky that they all maybe they all just, you know, got caught in the traffic jam. We're like, what's all this? All right, let's just have a dance. Yeah, I'll get out and dance. Why not? Why not? Um, yeah, look, fair play to them. Um, we've seen some world record attempts in various episodes of reading in the years going back and uh you know yeah i I, there was a bit too much michael flatley in this for me yeah not a fan Um, i'm not you know i look i don't i don't hate i don't really have any opinion on michael flatley but he's just a bit smarmy uh you know he wasn't even doing the dancing he was blowing on a flute of some kind uh i think in one of the clips yeah and and i'm saying he's not even irish like he's Irish, Irish, but wasn't he like born in Chicago or something like that? Yeah, no, he's. I mean, he's Irish American. Yeah, I guess so. Mm. He's definitely, obviously, he's got a, he's got some kind of Irish connection. And I, I guess he spends some time here, or didn't he buy a, like a castle or something? Oh, there was but, that. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think he's. Um, I think Flatley is uh, is um, born in Chicago. You're right, but like I think his parents are Irish. Ah, um, okay. So that's he got into Irish dance over in Chicago. But yeah, look, I mean, look, amazing talent. Don't get me oh, wrong, yeah. River Dance, Lord of the Dance, and all that stuff. Like that's all amazing. I, I, you know, I, uh, I'd never take away from that. But as a personality, he just seemed a bit. I don't know because I think Mario. He was one of Mario Rosenstock's early characters on Gift Grow, and I think that just ruined Michael Flatley for me. Yeah, no, that is true. Yeah, there's certain people after Gift Grow you can't really take. Uh, you can't really take seriously um, into Kenny for one. Um, but um, also, speaking of Cork, uh, blatant vandalism next as one of the O'Halbeans sets uh, Slitter on fire. Um, as the celebrations in Cork continue with celebrations abound, as Cork is the European city of culture this year. Um, I do remember, I, I often spend a lot of time in Cork, a family down there, and I do remember around this time, it was just every, I mean, like, everywhere it wasn't just Cork City I mean like Bandon Clonakilty the whole lot there was something going on 
everywhere. I went to a fun fair, right, in Bandon. Now, you know the episode of Father Ted where they go to the fair and there's like, you know, the spider baby and the dangerous ladder. That's basically what it was. Yeah. But it was just an excuse for Cork <laughs> to celebrate heritage or, you know, culture or whatever it is. I think Limerick got it a couple of years after as well. And they didn't really do half a good job as Cork did. No, it was very, Cork were very, I mean, it said there they hosted thousands of events and I was like, most of which presumably involved them like mainly telling people or anyone who will listen how great Cork is. Yeah. Um, Cause that is, that is the, the default setting of someone from Cork, you know, must at all times remind people how great Cork is, even though anyone I've met from Cork, cause I've only been in Cork once or twice in my life generally has moved away from Cork yet still reminds you at every time, every turn, how great it is. Yeah. Now to be fair, you know, uh, I do find the the nightlife of Cork is great because it's, it's kind of like Dublin light in a sense that it's, um, you know, it's buzzing, uh, like it's, it's big enough, but you know, not too big, you know, Probably just cost seven quid a pint either. Uh, well, I mean, these days, you know, you can never be too sure. Um, uh, that's it. Yeah. Um, uh, however, not only Corkonians celebrate this year, as a woman from Limerick scoops the biggest ever Euro Millions jackpot. Uh, Dolores McNamara wins over 115 million in the draw. Uh, for those of you wondering what that is in today's money, well, let's just put it this way. That's about three days of a commute to work in petrol. Yes. Yes. <laughs> she could buy one tank of petrol. Exactly. And it'll get her to and from. Uh, and if you're wondering whatever happened to Loris, she went on to become the mam from Gavin and Stacey. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. It's, it's, uh, I always found her very interesting because uh, like she became a tabloid obsession back oh, then. Yeah. Like I always look at her and go, if I won the Euro Millions, would I? Because you know there's been a few big wins recently, and you haven't, they haven't been named. And obviously, you, I think you get a choice when you win it. I don't know if she had a choice. I think I felt like when the Euro Millions came out first, I could be wrong on this, but I th- I felt it was something like if you chose to remain anonymous, you didn't get the full jackpot. What? But I I think that could be something I picked out of my ass, to be honest. Um, but but I noticed that the big winners recently haven't. They've said where it was bought, but they've never actually said. Yeah. It. And I think a lot of people have learned. I've looked at Dolores McNamara at this remove now, sixteen years later, and said it's not worth it because that woman was a. She was she became subject of a load of tabloid stuff because you know. She had the, um, you know, in, in the tabloids' minds, you know, the uh, the the temerity to be a working class woman who won yeah. over fifty million, um, you know. So and I said things from her family were in trouble with courts and stuff like that. And she was, it was always Dolores McNamara's, you know, first cousin twice removed up on drugs charges. And it's like she probably doesn't even know who the fucker is. Like she's from a big family. Like I'm from a big family, and there's people I don't know in it. You know what I mean? That's just how yeah. it works. And then, you know, as well, I remember reading something with her, an interview with her a couple of years after, and she was talking about how many letters she still got and and emails and people calling to the house and being like, oh, I need 15 grand for this, uh, I don't know, flying potato I'm trying to patent. Like, you know, (laughs) like it just like, you know, all this kind of stuff and obviously charitable causes and all the rest, but everyone wanted their slice. Oh, yeah. No matter didn't matter who she was you know they didn't know her but they just thought well this woman has a load of money so i'll go to her and ask her for money and it just you know i just feel like that um that amount of publicity uh couldn't couldn't be a good thing obviously it's you know you you get your 115 million so you know people aren't gonna have much sympathy for you but at the same time it's it's a big big change in your life and i'm not sure it's it's all it's cracked up to be albeit you obviously would want it to happen to you but it's not yeah 
Yeah, no, you're right. And I feel like the Euro Millions was only like a brand new thing at this stage. And she was like, I think it of, was, yeah. Yeah. And she was like one of the big winners. And no, you're right. It it it, put, it does put a target on your back. I'd love to know like how you could actually possibly keep that quiet. Like, I mean, if you were to remain anonymous and like just, I don't know, say for argument's sake, they're like, look, we'll give you a hundred million. And you're like, yeah, cool or whatever. Um, I mean, how do you like, you know, how do you explain the brand new car, you know, and uh, why you moved away to live in the Bahamas and where the money came from? You know, they're going to. This is the thing, isn't it? Because, like, you know, if you want it right, they'd be like, you know, the the local, I don't know what your nearest shop is, but let's let's say it's, you know, the local whatever shop, Londis or, well, they're not Mm. Londis anymore, are they? Um, The local local news agent sold, you know, sold the winning ticket and somebody in the area is worth 100 million. Yeah. You know, then you start turning up to work in your brand new, I don't know, Tesla 300 grand or whatever it is, um, you know, and heading off to the Bahamas. Like it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty easy for people to put two and two together. So yeah, I don't think you'd ever be able to be fully anonymous, but certainly you'd ra- you'd rather avoid the national press and yeah. people all around the country and the Europe and the world, I guess, um, knowing your name. I think that would be, that would be an achievement. Um, yeah, it's also very difficult to. You'd be surprised. Like it's very difficult to. Like, what do you do with all that money? Like, you know, it's it's. Uh, yeah, you buy a nice house, you buy nice cars. Even in modern day Ireland, you 115 million. You have a chunk of change left. I mean, what do you oh, do yeah. with it? The reality is, you have to invest most of it. Yeah, yeah, it's just going to make you a very rich corpse at the end of your life. Pretty much, yeah. I remember God, my business studies teacher. Um, I don't know how practical this would be, but he said if you ever win anything big on the lotto like that, just put it in the bank uh, and then take out a loan for double the amount, and then the interest you accumulate on that would actually pay off uh, the initial loan. And uh, that kind of went over my head, and I don't know how solid an investment plan that would be. Um, but uh, not. Yeah. No. Uh, as a as a as a qualified financial advisor, I would say not the best advice, but I understand the premise. Mm. Um, probably just unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, you're just better off with your 150 probably million. Just, I mean, like Dolores Million, probably like uh, Dolores Million, Dolores McNamara. <laughs> um, you know, had she gone into the bank and said, "I've 115 million in my bank account, so give me a 250 million loan," I don't really see uh, <laughs> why he's right in that. Like what she could accumulate on that 115 million even sitting well not anymore because it's negative interest but yeah. back in 2005 the interest rates were good so she would have accumulated enough to pay off the loan but it seems unnecessary because yeah. the bank are just going to get a percentage of your loan that's, well that's true and plus the tabloids would have had a field day on that one <laughs> well yeah absolutely uh, we also get a massive shopping center this year uh, as everyone's nanny piles into the Dundrum shopping center as we even see one man who has no interest in his wife's dress uh, you can see him there like I booked the day off work for this um, I you know I don't live in that area I don't know how big of a deal this was at the time but uh, I mean they're all bursting through the door and they're all getting a nice glass of what looks like Prosecco so it must have been a big deal yeah it was so like so yeah I'm very connected to Dundrum I actually worked there uh, when I was in college I worked in one of the shops uh, for a couple of years and I, uh, there's no point in naming the shop giving them a free plug but I, I, I spent many many time in Dundrum and I'm not you know where I grew up isn't too far from there um, yeah it is it was it was a big thing because Dundrum was a sleepy kind of small village which was increasingly being urban sprawled into by the city so like you know it was just kind of this small uh, village and it actually had an old school shopping centre where it would like like a 1970s one which wasn't an indoor building it was like you know a, a 
car park with shops all around it. Oh, like uh, a strip mall you know, kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Kind of still, uh, you won't know, probably still Oregon either, but that was the other one yeah. in, in South Dublin that opened in the late 60s. And actually, it's not on Reeling of the Years, but it's in uh, it's in uh, some old ads. You know, did you ever follow these pages that uh, show the old classic RTE ads? Oh, yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. That one's in there. But anyway, so yeah, this was a big thing. I think this, I think what Dundrum Shopping Centre really was, was a monument to the Celtic Tiger. Um, <laughs> like it was a big... American style because I really think I've a lot of theories about the Celtic Tiger and this we're getting into the peak of it here um, I, there was a big obsession at the time with being American yeah and we've spoken about and we've seen how like the Bill Clinton era and Irish people really want, loved him and, and, and that, that was still a hangover from that so like people really wanted to be American you know in South Dublin the accent was very Americanized, uh, Hollis, things like Hollister, and you know, clothes, clothes labels like Hollister and American Eagle, and these kind of uh, American brands. People were flying. We'll actually see it next week's episode. People were flying to America to do their Christmas shopping. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so this was a very American style shopping mall. Um, big brands like House of Fraser, the guy besieged House of Fraser there, and it was just dumped into South Dublin, very affluent, you know, part of the part of the country. Uh, with, Plenty of people with disposable income, and it was packed. And I worked there. I started working in the shop in Dundrum in two thousand and nine, I think, uh, late two thousand eight, maybe early two thousand nine. I worked there for three years, and that was during the recession, like the worst years of the recession, and it was always busy. Well, particularly like mm. the weekends, you know. Obviously, you no, know, during the working day, it wasn't as busy, but like you know, the weekends and stuff where I was working part time when I was in college, like that was, you know, uh, they were busy 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 days and it was just the place to hang out it's kind of lost a bit of that now i guess covid obviously wiped it because no one was hanging out inside in a shopping center at any point in the last few years yeah um but uh but yeah they've actually expanded it since this so they've expanded the shopping center there's more outside they have like a court where all these people were queuing up where it was still kind of muddy underfoot that's all like a courtyard now that the shops extend right down and at various times of the year they'll have a, a, one of those ice rinks for for skating down there they'll have different restaurants and stuff like that so yeah it's still uh it's still very much there and thriving i would say some of the shops have changed right yeah because um like we have uh we've won big big well, it's not even big uh, but a shopping center in in waterford city square and uh would they built during the it's meant you know given the year that it is now because around this kind of time um they had like the, the council or whoever had said, "Oh, yeah, we're going we're going to make another shopping center." It's like, "Great, where are we going to put it?" Oh, Ferry Bank, and like that's literally just across the bridge. It's kind of on the way to Kilkenny, um, and they built this huge, like, massive shopping center. Um, but the the whole as soon as a recession hit, the company that was you know to license to, to I suppose put it together, they pulled out all the shops that were supposed to go in there, pulled out. So now it's still there, like all these years later, like sixteen whatever years later. And it's just an absolute shell. It's not run down. It's just a shell. Um, and there's like a library in there. And that's it. So it's a pretty much big, a big testament to like, just, you know, what we could have achieved versus what we actually ended up achieving. Um, yeah. And to be fair, I think the timing for Dundrum and the area of the country was in, it says it's in an affluent area. So it was yeah. somewhat recession proof. What not, obviously it's, all the shops would have suffered, but yeah. um, it, it was able to survive. As I said, when I was working there during those years, it was busy and and also i think it also sucked the life out of a lot of the towns around south dublin um so like i live in dunleary and dunleary town center it's actually rejuvenating itself but for the last few years it's just when you when you were talking about that ferry bank just like that shops pulling out you know during yeah. the recession and stuff and people because dundrum is a 
20 minute drive from here less probably 15 minute drive um you know so like if i need to go i did my christmas shopping in dundrum this year because it's just easier everything's in one place yeah you know, whereas if i go down the town here there's some shops but not every shop is here dundrum has everything it has sports shops it has all the fashion stuff it has you know bts and house fraser and well i think house fraser is gone now but it did have it um loads of menswear shops if you're shopping for yourself not that i very much enjoy that i'm <laughs> no. still i'm still rocking my 09 uh <laughs> clothes from <laughs> from when i worked in there that's a true story actually because i got i worked in a in a obviously in a clothes shop which the majority of shops in there are and i got you got a uniform so you got to buy or you got a couple of the stuff that they were selling the menswear that they were selling to, right. to wear as your uniform but I, like you got to keep it so oh. i still have it and that was it's definitely, I mean, it's 11 years since I stopped working in retail and started working nine to five. And uh, I still have one or two of those <laughs> clothes that I wear regularly. So that shows you how little I update my wardrobe. Nice. Yeah, I kept my uh, my T-shirt from Mr. Price that says, I love Mr. P, but I had to get rid of it because the Mr. wore off. So it just says, I love P. Um, uh, yeah, yeah that's, so, that's not the message you're going for. No, nah, you can't wear that on a night out. Um, yeah, no, I kind of feel like if you're shopping in places like House of Fraser, you know, you're not recession proof. But if you're shopping there initially, you probably, you know, you were probably OK, you know, throughout the throughout Yeah, the, I think the there was a, there were there were just more people shopping there. The people that during the recession couldn't afford to shop there stopped but there was definitely people who could still afford to shop there mm. uh, and you know well it was bt2 back then but now and thomas have moved in there i think to where house of fraser was and they they were in the the press recently because they were selling these vitamin injections i heard about, about this yeah 800, 800 quid for a, a course of injections <sighs> to give you very healthy pee uh ah madness but anyway that just shows you that uh uh, the boom is very much back yeah <laughs> and we're actually we always talk about on 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 uh, on this podcast kieran and when we're watching episodes of reeling in the years we talk about history going in cycles and we've seen it over the years and things repeating themselves what we're gonna see in this episode and the next two episodes in terms of ireland losing the run of itself you'll see elements of it in modern day ireland granted there's a lot more geopolitically and health pandemic wise yeah in the mix but the you know the country is still losing the run of itself yeah we're still we're, we're climbing we're, we're climbing back up there with our notions let's be honest we're we're really getting there certainly are um, um and uh, back in my hometown waterford hosts the tall speaking ships. of notions speaking of notions tall ships yeah um so they are just they were just the greatest uh like tall ships was just fantastic um like they were uh, it's kind of hard to explain like it happened and it was like oh yeah uh this whole festival is coming we're great because i mean waterford is known for having a port uh it's why we have a bridge that lifts um and a second bridge that doesn't lift now but um yeah but uh no we have um we had we always had like a busy port and then you know Obviously, as people stopped relying on, uh, you know, ships to, to bring stuff in, it the port just got less busy and less busy. But it's still the ideal port um, to the rest of the world. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they put this on and it was such a huge deal. Um, and then such a huge deal, they decided to bring it back in 2011. Um, and there's a reason they haven't brought it back since. It uh, wasn't as wasn't as good in, in 2011, like at all. Um, it was just, you know, the same things were on, but it was just uh, 
the timing was really bad and the there was no real crowds as such and it was like you know people walking past going oh look a ship um but no the first one was was really really good it was it really did bring a lot of life uh in into water because water at the time wasn't you know wasn't busy wasn't great it was just a kind of a place you drive through and you know you might stop up and toss stop off and do a bit of shopping but that was about it um but no tall ships really really did bring um brought a bit of life into it but no you're right um definitely notions all the way with these with these ships overcompensating yeah. maybe it was but it, like they are they are just they're they're i think majestic is the word i i'm drawn to here like they're just there's something so classy and cool about them and uh when you see them sailing into the port into the port there and and all the all the sailors in their uniforms and and then Captain Tom, the famous Captain Tom, reappears. Yes. His second reeling of the year's appearance, uh, fresh from his couple of weeks down the Canaries, uh, and he's, uh, <laughs> he's he's ready to go. He came so, back, uh, Captain Birdseye. Yeah, and it's great because, like, obviously, you know, um, uh, having having spent a good portion of my childhood over the bridge from you there in uh, in around Ross, uh, the um, the uh, the you know the boat is the boats are uh, are there as well and uh it's great it's a great uh great attraction in fact i would say one of the only attractive things about ross is the chance to uh yeah to, to see the dumb brody yeah. yeah so uh so yeah it's um it's <laughs> come, come for the dumb brody stay for the penguin chipper and then leave <laughs> that's yeah that's actually quite true um and speaking of uh, a classic ad next there's land over there uh, a few Irish blokes set sail on Columbus's ship to discover U.S. Um, a, a, yeah, a great ad for uh, for Amstel. Shite beer, though. Yeah, it was a pity. And actually, when this when this when this came up first when I was watching this episode, um, I actually watched this twice in preparation because we got such a long break. I stuck yeah. this on a couple of weeks ago, uh, which I don't normally do, and then watched it again last night. Took my notes, but yeah, when it first came on, I was like, I couldn't remember exactly what beer it was for. Mm. Which uh, probably doesn't say a lot about it as a no. man, but I suppose it was 16 years ago. But uh, but yeah, and then it came up. I knew it was. A, remember, it was a beer commercial, obviously, and I really, really loved this ad. It's a great idea, and again, plenty of money thrown at it, but like really, really good, uh, good idea and a good premise. And uh, yeah, just then it came up Amstel, and I was like, oh, for fuck's sake! Yeah, because they were. Um... Not that they were the beer, but they were kind of as popular as Carlsberg. Um, you know, Carlsberg tastes like shite, but um, it was they were like the it wasn't wasn't the Champions League sponsored by Amstel for years. Yeah, I feel like they were definitely they were definitely involved in in European football. Yeah, I think they did sponsor maybe not outright, but they were a main. They must have been like the official beer of the Champions League for a while or something. I yeah, I think they were because I remember when you used to watch the Champions League on RT, it would come up like you know the the Champions League iconic music in the background, and it'd be like sponsored by Amstel and Fujifilm and. Yeah. <laughs> There's a there's a nice throwback. Um, and in Galway, two men, Mark Rebels and Steve Fawcett, recreated transatlantic flight in an old timey plane. Um, not content with one journey, however, Steve Fawcett also takes a spaceship looking thingy uh, on a 67 hour round trip on the globe in a single flight. Um, we also see the Discovery rocket launch restart the American space program. So quite the aviation bits in here. But I have to say the guy on his little spaceship thingy, um, the really thin plane. So by the sounds of it, he he just basically flew around the globe in sixty seven hours without stopping. Which, yeah. um, I mean, how do you stay awake for sixty seven hours without dying? Uh, speed, speed, 
Mm. Amphetamines. Ah, right. That's what you meant. Uh, actually, like the speed of his journey. I was like, oh, it's no. still 67 hours. <laughs> just, uh, I mean, probably not in 2005 because, you know, you're not allowed to drug people. But uh, I'd imagine yeah. uh, if this had been the 60s, they'd just uh, hop them up with amphetamines uh, like they did with the soldiers in Vietnam and uh, yeah. and just send them around the world. Yeah, I don't know because he looks, I mean, he looks old enough. He's obviously, he's obviously in good health to be doing all this stuff. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that's more of a feat of, you know, fueling the plane, uh, you know, and yeah. then obviously, yeah, must have been fueling the, the pilot with something. Uh, yeah, either that or when he's like, you know, approaching the Atlantic and he's like, right, nothing but blue for the next like five hours. So I'm just going to kick this in, you know, cruise control and just just let yeah, it fly. I feel like he could have had a Homer Simpson, you know, that little uh, bird thing that hit the yes key. <laughs> uh, on that kind of thing like he could have just set one of those in motion to keep the plane going forward and just nodded off for a few hours I think that's probably what he did he's drinking the water <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah and, and like you know there was a pretty momentous thing that he did break it we've never seen world records break broken left right and centre here but he uh he, you know, he, he, does, he breaks this record and what's his prize he gets to be doused head to toe yeah. by Richard Branson yeah fucker like at least you know, let me get I, undressed yeah, I get that Branson was obviously funding this whole thing. I mean, who else would? But um, yeah, yeah, true. But uh, yeah, he just—it just seems a bit of a shitty prize, to be honest. No, it does. Um, that'd be the last thing I'd want now, like because I'd imagine he was uh, pretty cramped up. Um, definitely wanted to stretch his legs and not get doused. Just wants to stretch and probably have a shit, to be honest. Oh, God. there was definitely yeah, definitely like somebody on a boat somewhere in the Atlantic, wondering why they've just been hit in the head by flying <laughs> shit. This maybe Captain Tom. Maybe actually, there you go. That's why. There you go. Maybe that's why uh, he took such a detour down the Canaries. He was like, "Nope, last time I was here, I'm gonna, I got shot on." So yeah. That's it. <laughs> um, and in Galway, uh, no, actually, sorry, that was the last segment. This year is also the wedding of uh, Camilla and Prince Charles. Uh, they're coming to Ireland soon, by the way, and they're stopping off in Waterford. If you're around, are they? They are, yeah. This was like a huge thing during the week. Uh, I, I, I don't know exactly where they're going. They're going to like the medieval museum and uh, one of them is going to uh, the De Bromhead stables um, to see some of the award-winning horses. Um, small things like that. I think maybe Mount Congreve, somewhere like that. Um, but yeah, they definitely they have an itinerary. It was confirmed during the week that they're coming to uh, they're coming to Waterford. I'd imagine they're going to keep them out of, uh, you know, places like John's Park and Ballybeg um, for, for various reasons, but, uh, and it'll probably be a flying visit. Um, yeah, they'd have, they'd have very, uh, I suppose, um, planned in advanced, in yeah. advanced stop-offs, uh, speaking mostly to Protestants and, uh, you know, just keep, keep them, keep them moving away from any locals they might, uh, they might encounter. Yes, no, dead right. Um, but I do, I do vaguely remember their uh, their wedding. Uh, I remember particularly one scene where you know Camilla was obviously walking down the aisle or something. The camera cut away to some old lady in the crowd picking her nose. That was all I remember from that wedding. Um, you know, it was a big thing at the time because it was like, oh, you know, his his wife is you know deceased with only about what you know seven years at this yeah, age. Seven or eight years. Um, and you know here he is marrying again. Um, you know, and you see Harry and William and they're. Jesus, they look so different, you know, uh, from when, you know, the last time we kind of saw them was at Diana's funeral. Um, and now they, you know, there they are, fully grown men, um, you know. Yeah, and, that's it. And, and very pally, considering that they now are not very pally and not getting along famously, of course. Yeah. This, is, this is before either of their respective wives came on the scene mm. uh, and drove a wedge between them as, as the... The, the glossy magazines would have you believe um but yeah i suppose yeah this is yeah it's one of those things i guess like it was nice that these two eventually got together because they were 
always in love by the sense things and yeah. you know they were having an affair and all that kind of thing and they should have been married but i get i don't know was she at the time like in the 70s was she not seen as as a, of a high enough standard yeah. you know there was a lot more of that um so yeah look not, it's nice that they got to get married and, and you know the world didn't you know blow up because the future king of england got divorced and married another woman you know it's 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 fine whether he'll be I mean, he must now. Like he's seventy odd. Like he must just be like, Matt. Which Matt? Which just do the decent? Just, you know, yeah, I don't know. It's it's. Yeah, I I'm convinced she's going to outlive him. Like I just have this feeling that she is just going to outlive him just out of spite. I mean, he is an old man. Now. He's seventy odd. You know. Now, and like you know, I know the king as he would be wouldn't have to do a huge amount. But like, yeah, if you're not going to do it in your in your prime or even in your like you know when you're in your fifties, you know, there's probably no. No, no point. And it probably should be, uh, you know, one of those things that maybe the Queen could step down. That's could have stepped. It's too late now, but she could have yeah. stepped down maybe at some point, retired, and like he could have become the King or something. Anyway, look, it's irrelevant really. But like, uh, you know, there, uh, it's just uh, you'd feel kind of bad for him. But yeah, I, he, there's a theory he may just pass it on to William straight away, mm. uh, and that would be a, a big break with tradition, obviously. But uh, yeah, who yeah. knows. It's more kind of symbolic now at this stage than it is anything else. Ah, yeah, yeah. You know. But you get your uh, face on a bunch of coins, Kieran. So you that's know. true. That's true. I'd say he, yeah, he'll probably stick around long enough to have his face on the coins. Um, and the yeah. other thing, they've got to change their national anthem. They do, don't they? It's so, not God Save know, the Queen, it'll be God Save the King. It'll be God Save the King, back to God Save the King, which it was before the Queen became the Queen. So, like, you know, but obviously that was 70 years ago. So, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's all these things, you know. There's a lot goes into it. Um, and uh, George Bush is also celebrating as he's sworn in again uh, for a second term. Um, and then, you know, that just quickly glances over to uh, the devastation of Hurricane Katrina, the damage of which is still very obvious today. Uh, the scenes are very eerily like that of a third world country as we see the flooding and the storm have left thousands displaced and widespread anarchy and chaos as one man says we have to steal from each other to feed our children uh i remember like obviously i remember this and i remember all the out you know there's a couple of things i remember from this number one Kanye west famously saying george bush doesn't like black people um which uh i don't know if you remember that from uh remember the uh, was it a telethon yeah, 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 with Michael Myers. Um, there was also you two and Green Day came together to make uh, the video for the Saints are coming. Yes, um, which was epic. Um, and the other thing that I remember is a couple of years later, I want to say around 2009, 2010, Top Gear did uh, a grand tour of America or whatever they That's did. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and they stopped off in New Orleans and they gave away their cars at the end of the trip or whatever. And you know, funnily enough, Jeremy Clarkson couldn't give his away. Nobody wanted to take it, but. Um, <sighs> Yeah, but it was just, yeah, the devastation is still pretty much there. Like, you know, the big places like New Orleans and all that has been, you know, kind of cleaned up because, you know, Mardi Gras and everything. But it is a big uh, tourist hotspot. But just to see those scenes, it's just wow. Like, I remember seeing it for the first time and it was just I couldn't believe that this kind of thing actually happens in America. Yeah, it was. It was shocking. And uh, it was really like you're dead right. The scenes are like something from the third world. And I mean, that's and that's what it produced the city of New Orleans too and, and the surrounding area. And I mean, like the guy was talking about, you know, it's like a battle zone and you just get this thought of like, it's nearly like the walking dead, you know, people, yeah. you know, it's a post-apocalyptic scenario where people are hanging on to their canned goods, as your man says, and, and other people are trying to come and steal them because they need to feed like the, the, the other guy is saying, you know, the guy who says, you know, it's kind of saying, Hey Europe, you know, look at this. And it's kind of like, you know, 
we've got to steal from each other and we're reduced to this just to feed our kids and stuff, which is awful. And I think what they don't really go into here, because obviously, as we know, you can't really go into it too much in reading in the ears, the different, the actual intricacies of it all, but was the delayed reaction of Bush. You know, Bush yeah. didn't visit for a long time, like several days, I think, at least. Um, you know, when you compare it to his 9-11 response, which he obviously, you know, was galvanizing the country gearing up on a war footing you know this was something that was a natural disaster and he was much slower to react yeah um and there were a lot of people you know as you said they're still living with the the, the fallout of it so many years later it's uh it's it's pretty uh it's pretty grim stuff yeah no it is it's um it's hard to see especially that uh that footage where they go past the crowd of people and they're all screaming we need help um and like i remember seeing the video then for you too and green the saints are coming and i remember thinking like oh my god this is great these are all the things that are happening over there and then like the end of the video just reveals that like none of this is happening um and it just it really drove home that okay you know um i don't think it's just black people can you i just don't think george bush really cared too much about people um, as as is evident no. by this, not at all, not at all. Um, and in the Vatican, we say goodbye to the man who's been a staple of our show, especially uh, Pope JP two. He dies at the age of eighty four. Um, and you know, as is tradition with popes, sorry you're dead. But here's another one: they announce the Pope, uh, the new Pope, in Joseph Ratzinger. He, he just Darth Sidious, a terrifying, yeah, he is terrifying looking man. Not the like, not the gentle face of the Pope that we're used to, um, and you know he didn't even look too well himself here, to be fair. Um, but yeah, sad day for 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 the for the world because you know whatever your religious beliefs, the Pope JP he was nice guy. I'm sorry, he was. I'm I'm uh, my my microphone seemed to have been muted there. Uh, yeah, he was. Uh, he's a, he was he was a good guy, and it's very sad to see him. Uh, very sad to see him. Uh, see him like that in those clips yeah no i mean the man survived an assassination assassination attempt um you know all those years ago so i mean he's tough as nails and i mean 84 is a, is a grand old age um and speaking of the catholic church the ferns report in ireland reveals gross serial abuse against children in the care of the church uh, in the diocese of ferns just another case of report after report of serial of serial sexual and physical abuse um which again, speaking of dealing with fallouts of things, you know, we're still seeing, you know, cases of this popping up now, you know, to this day. And I remember around the time that this came out, uh, they released like a statement from uh, the the Pope uh, Ratzinger at the time, and it was just in every church in in Ireland was it was pinned like as soon as you walked in the door there was a newsstand almost um and it just had dozens of these reports you know and it was basically just the pope condemning um not the report itself but the findings of it and you know basically swearing that he would do whatever he could to bring those to justice and support for the victims or whatever but i mean unfortunately sad to say nothing real aside from financial reparations for some nothing really came of that cuz how do you oh. how do you undo that damage yeah, and this is it. You know, this isn't it this is a toothpaste out of the out of the uh the tube stuff. Like you can't you can't fix it. Uh you know, you, you could compensate, yeah, but I mean how does money really compensate, you know, that the, the lives ruined uh by stuff like this? Uh no, not at all. This is uh and the forensic report was so damning. Um and it just I it 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 just really highlighted how much the church hid these things so like you know this practice of moving 
known pedophiles yeah. to just just moving them to a parish in a different country you know a lot of them ended up in america like it just you know where they still had access to kids like that kind of stuff is just you know it's really um mm. i'm not going to get into my my full feelings on um, yeah. the catholic church here but it was just you know it just it was wrong and then like you know um the archbishop of dublin Jim martin who, who i know is a decent man um yeah you know i've seen seen enough of him to know that but you know even here he's not apologizing like this you know this this it should have been look that's this is only a snippet of of of, of a, a much longer kind of interview that he gave but you know he's not apologizing here he yeah. should have been apologizing and they should have just been apologizing and because that was all they could do you can't as you said you can't you know how do you fix you can't fix it but you know a bit more acknowledgement and apologies and mm. humility about it even at this point many years later from the abuse um you know would have would have i think just made people a lot more not accepting of it but a lot more um you know okay but, uh, okay yeah. with the you know the, the reaction yeah absolutely um, and we also see the funeral of undoubtedly football's greatest to ever do it, George Best. Uh, his son Callum bids him farewell as Northern Ireland's greatest sporting, sporting hero dies aged just 59. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's documented, it's, it's out there that, you know, George Best obviously had a severe alcohol, um, you know, problem, uh, especially, you know, in his younger years and more so in his later life. Um, and it just, it, it really took its toll on him. And there's a very famous photo, I suppose, of uh, him in a hospital bed and he's nearly yellow. Um, and he basically asked somebody, I think it was his daughter. I don't know if he has a daughter. Maybe it was a nurse. I don't know. He asked somebody to take that photo of him and use it as a warning to not be like he was. Um, and it's, I mean, looking at it now, I mean, 59 is such a young age to, to, to die from something so preventable, I guess. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And he was really, uh, I mean, I remember um, in the years before this, he was a regular on Soccer Saturday. Yeah. Um, and at times he would look really healthy. But if, if you ever see clips of him in his last, he wasn't right up to his death, but maybe a year before his death or two years before he stopped. And he had, he had, he was, he lost a lot of weight, uh, yeah. you know, was kind of getting that yellow complexion which you know is a sign of of you know liver issues and, and all the rest of it and yeah just really sad because he was i mean he, he also like you know i think what people and putting my sport hat on people probably don't know now because it's so long ago is that like his career at the top level was probably over by the time he was in his mid-20s like yeah. all the good stuff he did we was in his early 20s before he but he just he just lived just such a party life. He was the fifth Beatle. He, you know, it was a swing in sixties. He was famous and handsome and one of the best footballers, certainly the best footballer to come out, come out of this Island, you know, uh, oh, yeah. there's been plenty, plenty of contenders, but you got to say best, best is the best uh, yeah. there has been. And, you know, he had the, the world at his feet and he won everything by the time he was probably in, I think 22, I think he's 22 when they win the European cup and, in 68 uh, you know so like you know he'd kind of had the world at his feet at that point and it was actually in terms of his football was all downhill from there he never actually got back to his best he was always really good uh obviously whenever he took the field but he, he was he very quickly got out of shape kind of into his late 20s and yeah he was, he was uh, i think we actually saw in the 72 episode when when he left um when he left old trafford uh, and i think he was still only 27 
you yeah. know, when that happened. And and he just he he played for years and years, but he was just making appearances at clubs that were willing to pay him a lot of money uh, to come and play a few games. And you know, he was essentially an exhibition footballer then from then on, which is very sad. Yeah, it is. I suppose it's a prime example, really, of how the mighty can fall. It's very uh, very familiar of. Um... Bobby is it Bobby George? Bobby George? Uh, Bobby and Tina. Bobby George. Um, of just how you know you can be just up there, just one of the best in the world, and then whatever issues just take over, and it, it it's it's kind of all downhill from there. And you know, he kind of knew himself the damage he had done, and you know, uh, to himself, and you know, it's just it's it's a sad way to go when you're beloved by so many. Um. But uh, up next, the GAA decides to open its playing fields to the likes of soccer and other sports, as we see Cork then go on to win two in a row in the hurling, defeating Galway 121-116. to um, I'm very surprised they actually glanced over this in the show itself, uh, because this was a huge thing um, for, you know, football, uh, for the likes of soccer and rugby, potentially, to be played in, in the likes of Crow Park. Um, yeah. You know, because yeah. it's it's our, it's our hugest national stadium, and for it just to be exclusively hurling and, and and Gaelic football, you know, for the doors to be open, like, and it was a big contentious issue at the time, even when it passed. You know, a lot of people were not happy really with the fact that it's like, oh, we're letting foreign sports basically been played on our on our soil. But you know, yeah, got on with the times. I uh, Sean Kelly, the the chairman here of the GA at this point, like he got um he got like. Uh, essentially death threats yeah death, death threats and stuff uh for you know helping to bring this in and he was a big supporter of opening crow park up and like the thing about it was was that like the, the alternative was that ireland were going to have to go and play rugby and football matches in the uk yeah. their home games and they were going to play in you know whether footballer maybe was talking about playing in, in celtic park and the rugby maybe in in, in the Millennium stadium in cardiff or somewhere like that and it's just you know just the thought of that uh i would only been for a few years but like when there was a world-class stadium um there and i suppose the big thing about crow park is it doesn't get shown off to the world because the majority of what happens there is 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 gaelic football and hurling and and Apart from Irish people abroad, that's not watched abroad. Yeah. Um, whereas you know when when granted we didn't have too many highlights in the footballing side of things there, um, but there were some big rugby matches there, a big wins, um, and you know that that was broadcasting it to a worldwide audience. And there's still certainly I know of you know rugby fans that I've met English and French and, and Welsh rugby fans who talk about Croke Park and really enjoying their their. The, the, the matches they went to there and the difference because some people come over every two years you know for the say the England games um, you know and they will always know you know it's always been Lansdowne Road and then suddenly to be going to a different part of Dublin that you wouldn't have seen before yeah. you know this amazing stadium because it is it's a, it's a really impressive stadium it's much more oh, impressive than, than, than the Aviva Stadium like it's a much it's a really impressive stadium to be in um, it was great to be able to show it off you know and I think mm. I think common sense because in Ireland we can be very stubborn and very uh, uh, backward about these things and very reluctant to you know to change um, so I'm glad that that sense prevailed and that uh, that they actually did um, did vote for it because it was mm. just uh, it was just a great uh, it was great it was just great great to be and I, I mean I went to rugby and football matches at Crow Park and, and apart from the fact that the pitch is way too big for either of those sports yeah. it, was, uh, it was great yeah, it needed a bit more kind of um, maneuverability on the pitch because, you know, you often see like Old Trafford, for example, is often used for cricket. Um, and, you know, it's, and, you know, you often see like NFL pitches in particular, they are used for uh, other other things like um, 
concerts and things like that. And they're all like almost retractable. Uh, the pitch itself is almost maneuverable in that yeah. sense. So uh, realistically, Croke Park should kind of be, you know, if it if it's going to do it, you know, at least make it up to scratch. But hey, we have the Aviva now for the soccer and stuff. So who needs it? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's it. That's it. I mean, it was it was very much a short term for a couple of years, and there hasn't been uh, hasn't been much there since. But um, in terms of the, the foreign sports, but yeah. uh, quote unquote. But yeah, it was um, it was it was great, and I'd I'd go back in a heartbeat to watch. To, I mean, I go obviously for the hurling and and and, uh, and that, but uh, I'd go back in a heartbeat for a rugby match again because mm. it was great. It was great to be to be in there watching rugby. Mm. Um, okay, so we're halfway through today's show. So as it's just myself and yourself, uh, Simon, I feel a pop quiz is a bit redundant. Um, so we're going to play. There was me thinking I'd win by default. No, I ain't going to let you away with that. We've got another 15 episodes to go. Not a chance. Um, so we're going to play our newest game. And it's called Oh So Clever. Wait to hear this. Simon says. Uh, so, <laughs> so what I'm going to do, right, is I am going to give you just 30 seconds to answer three questions which relate to the year 2005. So try and answer as many as you can in that 30 seconds. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. Okay, and here we go. So where did Leeds finish in the league this year? Uh, Leeds finished uh, 14th in the championship. Correct. Um, which animated animal had a number one song this year? Uh, uh, crazy Frog Good And finally What social media platform Was founded in February of this year? It's not social media in the way you think But it's still a social media Twitter uh-uh. ah. Twitter did not come along till 2009 um, You're probably going to ask for like you know uh, A default on this Because technically 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 It's not a social media But it kind of still is YouTube Oh, of course, YouTube says a five. Yeah, because I was thinking. Yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, I wouldn't classify social media, mm. but that's that's fair. Uh, yeah. I should have known that. Yeah, YouTube was the famous one. Yeah, um, yeah, because um, I was looking it up, and I was like, I could have sworn Facebook was two thousand five, but no, Facebook was two thousand four, and then YouTube was two thousand five. Um, I was I was in the early wave of uh, of uh, YouTube videos. Um, there are YouTube. So I did my leave in two thousand seven. Here, right. right this is a bit of a tangent but i did uh and as part of uh our shared procrastination me and a group of friends formed a band okay and, uh, some of the song we were kind of a youtube band back when i mean obviously we know this is the infancy of youtube uh so we made a couple of music videos and put them on uh put them on uh and wrote a couple not we didn't write songs it wasn't a real band like we weren't a serious like trying to be you two it was uh it was it was on bebo right under the heading of comedy bands we had a bebo oh, page okay and our claim to fame is that we at the time, our big rivals to, uh, at the top of the charts, oh, sorry, it's probably the middle of the charts, but in the chart, Bebo charts were the Rubber Bandits, who at the time, no were, way. Who at the time were an unknown uh, comedy band from uh, Limerick. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't stick at it past the Leaving Cert in the summer of 2007, but uh, uh, the Rubber Bandits did. And a couple of years later, they released Horse Outside and we all went, was that the band from Bebo? Oh my God. Okay. A lot to, a lot to unpack here. So, yeah. so um, I'll just give you the name of the band and I'll let you guys, I'll let the, the listeners uh, Google it in their own time I think the videos are still up there the The band we formed a band called the Dancing Blue Pandas um, uh, me and uh, five friends five of my schoolmates who I'm glad to say were all, are all still very close friends of mine um, and I'll let you uh, I'll let you have a look oh, at the, the three yeah. or four songs we, we also played one 18th birthday uh, and one school end of year concert thing 
So um, that would be your uh, head there in the front of, uh, was it Jabberwocky? Jabberwocky, yes, that was our, our last one. We, we released that that summer and uh, after that we realised that people were going to college and nobody cared about this anymore because you could go drinking and meet women. So, uh, so yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't really a follow-up to Jabberwocky. Um, but yes, so... Uh, wow, that's... Uh, yeah, wow. I actually missed the first the first song. I'm actually not in the video because I got tonsillitis the day, oh. we were, well, the, the weekend we were supposed to film it and they pressed ahead without me, so... Uh, oh my God. I don't oh, that's... Uh, wow. That's... that's Wow, that's... We uh, had... We had uh, three guys who could play instruments, uh, all of whom were well. One of the lads is very, very skilled musician, and the other two were, were quite handy on their instruments. And then the three of us, we couldn't play anything, so we just sang. So uh, I let you view that in your own time. Yeah, uh, but, uh, but yeah. You could, you could, you could, I wouldn't subject myself to too much of it, uh, but uh, but yeah, mm. it's one of those ones where it gets brought up at you know at uh, parties and stuff if we're all together, and wow. uh, the six of us get very teary eyed and nostalgic, and everyone else rolls their eyes and goes, "Not this again." Wow, that's uh, yeah, no, no, that's I'm actually kind of lost for word, lost for words rather. Um, and I'll just get I'll just leave you with this look out for our Christmas single, uh, (laughs) (laughs) with with the accompanying music video filmed on our big excursion to Dublin City for the day (laughs) from Bray, uh, where we ended up on RT News and we made Brian Dobson laugh. Oh my god, oh. Yeah, didn't make reeling in the year 2006 spoiler alert for next week, but we we ended up on RT News on a box pop, and uh, we were the last people. And so we, this is how cringy we were. We told the lady who was the reporter who was uh, you know asking the questions. It, it was a box pop about you know the shopping because it was 2006 in Dublin, so I was like, "What do you spend your money on?" And people were like, "I don't know, a house in yeah. Bulgaria." But uh, um, so we were asked that, and then she's. Then she said, oh, so, you know, are you all in town for the day or whatever? And we were like, uh, you know, 16. We were like, yeah, yeah, um, we're actually a band and we're here. We're, we're filming little clips for our, music, our our latest video. And she was like, will you sing the song? Uh, so they filmed a snippet of us singing the song. Didn't put any of the clips of us talking in the piece oh. and just ended it with, you know, some shoppers were in great spirit. And just the, the six of us <laughs> singing to camera. Uh, at the end of the report, so Brian Dobson gave a little chuckle as he took the took the news back uh, as it came back to him at the studio. So that was our claim to fame. Wow! Um, so lots to unpack there, Kieran. That yeah, I'm starstruck. You know, um, wow. Uh, Maybe so, we can start a new segment of embarrassing things from Simon's past. <laughs> uh, so there's there's one there. Well, you know what? Uh, with your permission, I you know. Would, would I be okay to share one of the videos maybe on the, on our Twitter? I'd of like, course. Of okay, course. brilliant. Go ahead. I, 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 in my proxy, I'll give you the permission of the other five guys. I'm sure okay, perfect. You never know. We might see a resurgence and you could be playing alongside uh, the Rubber Bandits at Electric Picnic. Who knows? We could have well, look, that's, I mean, you got to put yourself out there now. You know, yeah. uh, TikTok generation, we might be considered like a vintage, like so so cringe, they're cool kind of thing. But uh, yeah, okay. we'll see. I mean, some of the people in that in that music video are fathers now, you know, and still, <laughs> still, uh, you know, all the kids are babies at the minute. But in a few years, I think they're going to be. Uh, oh, that'll be brought up. I'm sure. Videos. I mean, it's nearly as bad as you know discovering that we were in porn or something. But anyway, look, we'll <laughs> we'll see see what happens. That's our generations being you know discovering that you're mad at Playboy or something. Yeah. Um, and uh, speaking of which, after our quiz comes uh, Simon's favorite Twitter page. So. You've had two weeks, so what you what you got for me? Okay, so this one people may actually know about this. I don't know how famous this is, right? Um, but it's something that it's a page I've been following for a while. I'm also not 
when I started following it and, and I put it on my list for future shows, because I'm good like that and I plan these things, um, <laughs> I was sure this was a parody. Having looked into it in more depth for this episode, I'm actually starting to doubt that it is a parody. Okay. So the page is called Birds Aren't Real. Uh, that's at Birds Aren't Real. Um, and I'll just give you their Twitter bio. So the page, as I said, is Burn- Birds Aren't Real. And the Twitter bio says they used to be until the US government replaced them with identical drone replicas designed to spy on the American public, founded in 1976. Um there is a link there on the Twitter page, which brings you to their website and some other stuff. They have like, this is a proper movement, uh, which is why, as I said, I'm less, I thought initially it was just a Twitter page. And now I'm less convinced that it isn't like a whole movement um, that, and that some of these people may actually, they're either really skilled parrot parodists. That's not a word, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, they're either very skilled at parody or they genuinely believe it. And I'm not sure. Um, and just in the last hour, actually, they've been having a Twitter conversation with Elon Musk. I saw he just retweeted something from them. Yes. So um, so this is literally as we record on Friday, the 11th of March, he's, he's having a uh, some kind of uh, interaction with them. He seems to also suggest that the birds aren't real. Um, but yeah, basically the whole premise of this, what I hope is a parody, is that uh, uh, birds were replaced by drones and that every bird you see is actually a spy uh, who's who's <laughs> who's spying on you. But some of the tweets, as I said, some of the tweets make, uh, again, you, would make you believe that they actually believe this, uh, but some of them are don't. Uh, some of them some of them are genuinely just, um, just good parody, I suppose. Um, it's 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 a fine line i feel like it's a it's a fine line they they do a lot of retweeting actual tweets about birds and kind of saying that it's not real so for example nbc news tweeted a couple of weeks ago that uh, a bat falcon has been spotted for the first time in the united states according to the u.s fish and wildlife service and linked to an article on that and birds aren't real retweeted and said they're just running out of ideas for new drones uh you know, uh, they also feature on, or the guy. I, I think it's one guy who majorly runs this. He he featured on Howard Stern uh, the other week as well. So as I said, that's why it, again it makes me believe that he may actually be serious. But um, but uh, I'll just I'll just give you a uh, um, uh, he retweeted a, a tweet from Dave the Dipsy Hipster. Uh, the end of January. The moon landing conspiracy theory has to be the stupidest conspiracy theory. I mean, there's the birds are fake one, but that's a whole new category of delusion uh, to which birds aren't real, replied. They laugh at us. Call us charlatans, fakers, Jezebels. The final laugh will be ours. The sun will rise. Delete your account. Um, (laughs) That sounds pretty threatening. Yeah. So this is, again, it's a fine fine line. Um, The yeah, the, the it, it's it's kind of scary actually. The more you look into it, but I very I very much enjoy just on the surface of it what is an incredible parody because they've convinced so many people. Like I feel like they're just trying to convince so many people that they're that it, that they really believe this, right? Because it it's so crazy that you could you wouldn't feel anyone could believe it. But then it is America. Uh, well, yeah, that's so true. There is a whole um, but like they've got a lot of coverage. So I think Vice Media put out like a. a some kind of uh, you know short documentary on the movement and all the rest of it, and they're 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 allegedly suing the New York Times for what I don't know exactly. Um, wow, 
some people just shouldn't have access to the internet. That's yeah. Right. So it's either a really long play, uh, you know, of a of a uh, of a of a joke. Yeah. Or he's serious. Like, for, for example, the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission was moved to tweet on the fifth of January that birds are real. So that's the level we're at here. Wow. Where there's so many people who like. Again, it could be like. Do you remember that? I don't know if you 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 were on this, but a couple of months ago there was a thing on Irish Twitter oh, about uh, the Lewis. Everyone tweeted at the Lewis. Yeah. Uh, and we're like, if everyone tweets it, it's true, right? So everyone tweeted at the Lewis is free, and people genuinely believe then that the Lewis is free, and the Lewis and the government had to come out or whoever it was. Minister of Transport had to say the Lewis is not free, and uh, so I think it's something similar with the birds are aren't real thing. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so yeah, just um, and there are people stupid enough in America to fully buy into this. I mean, we we know that first and probably here too. Oh uh, yeah, we know that for a fact. So um, so yeah, it's 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 but it's a very good way to pass. I don't know a day on on Twitter <laughs> if you really want to. Like, there's a there's a lot here. Um, hmm. I'll definitely be. Uh, I'll definitely spend the weekend scrolling through that, and uh, when we come out on the other side with my tinfoil hat and uh, be shouting at pigeons in Red Square. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, over in Pakistan, we see scenes of, ma- of a massive earthquake. As seventy-five thousand people are killed, and over three million left without shelter. Um, again, kind of glossed over in this segment, but just to think of the sheer number of people: seventy-five thousand people, and three million left without shelter. It's just crazy. I'll, I'll never be able to just comprehend the amount of damage. Like last year we saw the uh the tsunami, but like I'll just never be able to comprehend like how fucking scary underneath their own feet is. Yeah, no, that's it. And uh I've never been involved in an earthquake or whatever, but um but yeah, it's it's one of the scariest things I think. Um mm. Couldn't imagine being caught in, in, in something like that now, I have to say. And I, I genuinely don't have faith in the Irish uh, infrastructure uh, in terms of the house that I live in <laughs> that I would be considered safe. Um, you would probably find me atop a pile of rubble, you know, in the bath. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and my bath is made of plastic. So I'd, I'd probably what well, used to be my bath. Um, and uh, Hil- Hillary Clinton weighs in on the killing of Robert McCartney in Belfast. Uh, McCartney was 33 years old when he was set on, uh, when he was sat in a pub with a friend and was set upon by who were later named as members of the provisional IRA. Um, he was stabbed several times. Um, I was looking into this and it's just crazy. First of all, it's, it's crazy that we still have Clintons getting involved in Northern Ireland business i suppose but you know we know their history there um but allegedly uh he was out with a friend and uh there was a woman who had accused his friend um of basically trying to hit on her and uh other people that were there like the the two people who were you know later um i suppose accused of of killing him um were he you know got you know annoyed about this and um robert carney stood in for his friend and was like no you know leave it off or whatever and Apparently somebody broke a bottle and, and stabbed him with it. And um what had happened was he was he he after the whole scuffle had happened and he was he made it to the outside of the pub in an adjacent laneway. The police were called and the police arrived, but as they arrived, a gang of youths, I suppose you'd call them, um, started on the police and the police were delayed in actually getting him to the hospital. But I couldn't get over when I saw it on the article that his injuries included uh, a missing eye, 
and a stab wound from his stomach all the way up to his chest. So he was essentially, you know, gutted. Um, and I just, I, I couldn't believe the sheer, sheer brutality of this. Um, and then it was, uh, apparently there was a whole cover-up then with the PSNI and, and the, the IRA and just the whole thing, a needless death and his sister's, you know, campaigned for ages and ages to, you know, justice for this to, for basically to be told the truth of what happened. It's just a shocking shocking situation altogether no it is yeah it's 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 awful it's one of the lesser known ones i mean i'd heard the name but i didn't really know the story till i looked into a lot um when i was when i was um looking at this episode and yeah awful i mean just just it, i think for two reasons obviously the yeah the horrific um the horrific way they that he died i mean the the, the injuries were just unbelievable for for a bar fight you know i mean yeah. that's which is essentially what it was you know i mean um yeah and and yeah and then the second horrific thing is the closed ranks of the i don't you know i say the community i mean obviously there was a fear there but like you know the 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 there was enough fear of these these the the, the members of provisional ira who allegedly carried out these murders um that 70 witnesses 70 people who've been in yeah. this uh, this social club all claimed they were in the jacks at the same time yeah. uh, rather than rather than grass up the uh, and and you know, but the, 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 it wasn't like these two guys, McCartney and his friend Brendan Devine, who, who survived somehow. Um, it wasn't like these two guys were Protestants who'd come into the wrong bar; like they were local people as well, you know. But the fear of these the people, the perpetrators of this, um, you know, was was so much. And then the cover up from you know that went up to to Sinn Fein. But I was reading about it, and I suppose the McCartneys took the case to the US because. The Republican movement has such financial backing there, and um, that's where they get a lot of their do a lot of their fundraising and stuff. Um, and Sinn Fein do a lot of fundraisers there, so they were trying to hit, yeah, you know, the, the political wing as Sinn Fein were certainly um, at some point, if not still are, uh, you know, and uh, and they succeeded to some extent, by, by from what I read, because a lot of the politicians refused to meet Jerry Adams the following uh, the following uh, winter when he when he was in um, America. Um, that would have met him before a lot of the American yeah. politicians, the, the Irish American politicians like Edward Kennedy, declined to meet him uh, over this. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, really, a really, a really awful, uh, really yeah. awful uh, item. Yeah, I said uh, kind of a lesser, lesser known one, but I suppose it just really does pay tribute to the fact that you know, even though kind of the troubles were kind of winding down, they were still they were still ongoing. Um, and uh, this year also uh, sees the IRA declare a ceasefire um, as a panel of witnesses oversee the decommissioning. Um, as ever, Ian Paisley weighs in saying they should remain cautious about power sharing because what's real in the ears without Ian Paisley? Well, um, we're running out of years with Ian, but yeah, he's back calling them yeah. um, Irish and Fane at every opportunity. And, uh, yeah, Reminding people that he's still... It's like I said to you the last time, which was a couple of years ago, where I was like, well, at what point does he flip? Because we know he becomes yeah friendlier to to mark guinness and the two of them work end up working together as 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 first minister and a deputy but uh yeah up to 2005 he wasn't having any of it anyway no and um i'm, I'm glad that uh, somebody actually came out and said okay we oversaw the the ceasefire and the decommissioning of the weapons because it was a couple of years ago a couple of weeks ago we, we reviewed an episode and they were your man i can't remember his name for the life on the top of my head but the american guy and he was like oh, you know, george mitchell yeah yeah and he was like guys, yeah. yeah it happened Okay, yeah, are we just supposed to take your word for this? Um, so you know, um, and I remember this being all over the papers as well that this was like you know, peace in our time or whatever, but you know, a lot of people were very skeptical about it, and I suppose look rightly so. Um, 
And this year also sees the start of bird flu from Asia to Europe. Uh, as we see a chap named David Nabarro says, we need to contain the spread of the avian flu if we were to avoid a human pandemic. Sound familiar? Hmm. Uh, I remember there being talk at the time in the papers of this comes over here now, we're all going to have to start wearing masks and everybody lost their shit. Um, <laughs> and look at, yeah, now luckily it didn't. Like, you know, we weren't affected by it really at all. Um but uh, and then there was, you know, then there was, of course, swine flu. And then they just started looking for reasons to panic. And then, you know, COVID came and was like, oh, all right, OK, we actually have to panic. Um, but yeah, bird flu. So you're talking about birds aren't real. How did we get bird flu? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and I see. think we should pose that question to hmm. the birds aren't real. They'll, they'll probably just say it's a cover up and it should have been called drone flu. Yeah. Um, and uh, the G8 summit takes place in Scotland this year as we see Bob Geldof back. Fuck's sake. Um, this year they're promoting Live 8, a new spin on Live 8, this time with the aim of, um, of asking for changes in foreign aid and trade policies, as well as debt relief for some of the world's poorest countries. One campaigner talks about poverty and aid relief, while Geldof shows no interest and plays with his hair because the camera isn't on him. Um I remember Live 8 and I just remember it, I won't say being a flop, but it was like just nowhere near Live 8, just nowhere near as good uh, or as big of a deal, you know? No, yeah, it was definitely not. Um, and I guess, yeah, there was just not a novelty to it and the times are very different and um, the pulling power if you like if that's the right word of the stars just what i mean i actually thought about i thought of the um you know they released a 20th in 2004 they released a 20th anniversary new version of feed the world or you know yeah. it was christmas right they did, yeah. uh, we didn't see it it was we were spared it in last week's episode but it i know the 1984 one wasn't all stars like there was plenty of people of their time as well but like i felt like that 2004 one you know like busted were in it and you know um a lot of random people who were only famous in 2004 or yeah. years either side of it and I feel like Live 8 had a lot of that as well I'm not sure it had I just don't think it was a big time in music at that point for really big stars um, there were a lot of bands or, or singers who were good at the time but did, didn't have very long careers at the top if that yeah. makes sense no that does because at that time and even if you listen to the music in these episodes it's very uh, there's a lot of people you go oh remember her remember yeah. her? What the, remember them what happened to them because I'm, I'm looking it up here now so they had several different concerts uh, around the world so in london you had uto and paul mccartney okay big enough keen again good enough but like you know very like very 2005 very up their time yeah yeah um so they had pink floyd which is you know timeless uh pete doherty uh, remember him he was uh, going out with Kate Moss um, Travis like even by 2005 standards they were like they, they had their heyday had passed it had stopped yeah. ra- it had stopped raining on them a long time ago um, obviously the Boomtown Rats fucking hell um, then they had Chris Martin of Coldplay because I mean where there's charity there's Chris Martin uh, and then Robbie Williams and um, in Philadelphia they had the Kaiser Chiefs which again 
you know, product of their time, but really weird for them to be playing in, in Philadelphia. Uh, Will yeah. Smith. Will Smith did a version of Fresh Prince, ironically enough. Uh, some band called Mayor John Street. Uh, and Stevie Wonder was joined by Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20 and uh, Adam Levine from Maroon 5. Um, and they did, you know, Sign Seal Delivered. Uh, Paula Abdul got in on the act as well. Um, in Canada, they had Deep Purple. Uh, in Berlin, they had Brian Wilson from uh, Beach Boys. Uh, and in Moscow, they had... Pet Shop Boys, that's the only decent band that I actually recognize there. Um, so like I mean, yeah, like you said, just a lot of products at their time, not a lot, not enough star power. Yeah, no, not a lot of not a lot of star power, and just um yeah, just you know, just grand, uh, I guess. Yeah, kind of doing you know, it for the just, sake of doing it. All right. Uh, yeah. That's, 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 it. that's all you'd say about it. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and uh, up next, we're shown the brand new PSP. I never had one. Did you have one? No, my brother had one, though, at this time, uh, or probably the year after, I suppose. Um, so I do remember the PSP. See, I've, I've never been a big... So we all, we had PlayStation, like, growing up and stuff, uh, and I used to play it a bit, but hmm. I was always more of a get-outside-and-play-sport. So like, oh, okay. I played you know FIFA and I had played some of the Grand Theft Autos and stuff that were popular in the, in the time but I never really had a gr- big grow for it my brother is really into gaming and he, he plays a lot of um, plays he's always been a PlayStation man but he, he got the PSP um, and I remember he used to like if we were going away going out to Wexford or whatever he'd just be in the car for two hours you know playing the playing the yeah. PSP and whatever games he had so I do remember them but I never actually had it, had it myself I'm not sure I ever played on his one yeah, it's it wasn't it was no it wasn't great. I do remember though they had like you know like the guy says in the clip that you know you're gonna be playing movies on it, and I do remember going into Golden Discs and they had actual uh, I can't I think it was cartridges actually went into it or like little SD cards or something, but they had um you know you you'd be going along the DVD section or whatever they had your DVDs and then next to it you had your PSP movies and it was literally in the tiniest boxes like um almost like a Game Boy kind of box um. And I remember, I very vividly remember watching Layer Cake on one of the, on a PSP on like a school tour years ago. Um, and it used to be great crack on the school bus, you know, like when we go on a school tour or off to a match or something and somebody had one. Um, but you also see, meanwhile, Rivals, uh, Microsoft launched the Xbox 360. Now that I did have, and I had that bloody thing up until about 2016. Um, now, like, I mean, look, when I was growing up, I had a PS2 up until like 20, 2008. So, uh, you know, I was a bit behind the times. Um, and Michael Finucane says he can safely say that they will be sold out on day one. Um, the PlayStation also launches a GAA game this year. Christ alive. I now remember this, this shit. Show. Yeah, this, this I played. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember specifically playing this and there was no way that you could not score because you'd be running with the ball and the, like you would just get past midfield. And the uh, at the bottom of the screen, the uh, the crossbar, uh, the the goal would come in a graphic of the goal, and it would have a little arrow. And if no matter where you hit it from, once the arrow was over the bar, you were going to get a point. So like it was just it was literally just tit for tat if you were playing against somebody. You know, it was just yeah. back and forth. And they actually had actual commentary from me, Hall, Omar Hartig. And, right, yeah. And the half time. Every single game at halftime, he'd say, now they're going in for their banana and their cup of tea. They'll enjoy that at halftime. It was just abysmal. It was a real, like, somebody sold the idea 
yeah. And then somebody got tasked with making it. I'm like, how the fuck? Like, just <laughs> like Gaelic football isn't that different. Yeah. To a, it wouldn't be that different to a soccer game. Like, it no. wouldn't be. No. Um, and yeah, like things like having that arrow that basically guaranteed that you could put the ball over the bar. Uh, they didn't have the players' names properly, I don't think. I think it was just like player one or maybe they yeah. had fake names. You know, everyone was Jim Murphy or something. I'm not sure. But it was just, yeah, it was just, it seemed very half-assed. Um, and yes, I guess because like, look, you know, how much money are you going to make out of a GAA game? You know, hmm. it's oh, you're only going to get people in Ireland buying it. And yeah. you know, how many people actually have a PlayStation or whatever it was? It was a PlayStation game. Um, but yeah, I remember playing this down with my cousins down in Wexford. They had it down there on the PS2 and... Uh, yeah, just yeah. just it got very boring very quickly. Yeah, it was the kind of game you'd always, always see in the bargain bin of your local game stop. <laughs> yeah, 100%. You know, always. Um, I'd be gas crack actually. Somebody surely somewhere on Twitch is playing this. I must actually look it up. Um, and speaking of GA, Tyrone win the All Ireland football final one year after the death of their player Cormac McAnallen. I'm very surprised this didn't actually come up on last year's episode. Um, but uh, yeah, a lovely speech given by the captain at the end saying that he should that Cormac McAnallen should have been there instead of him. Um, and I remember that being a huge thing when it happened because he just died suddenly, um, just out of nowhere. Um, yeah, I think, he did, yeah. yeah it was really sudden death, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that kind of spurned a whole like, um, oh, I've got to remember around this time because I was playing sport, getting a letter saying that I had to go for like testing where they put me on a treadmill and make sure my heart was okay. And you know, did that for like every club in the in the country, I think, um, because it was just a kind of a just in case because they didn't really know what, what caused it. It was just sudden, literally just a sudden death, which was very which is very frightening. Yeah, that's right. It definitely increased awareness that that, that, that happens. Yeah. Um, and it does happen. And I guess, uh, I think, I don't remember it ever happening before that, but it obviously did, but it, it got labeled as sad, sudden other death syndrome. And yeah. I've heard of, you know, that happening obviously from time to time. I actually have a friend who passed away from that uh, about oh, five wow. years ago. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it happens and it's, yeah. it's, it's really sad, but that was a really nice moment there. Uh, Brian, yeah. the Tyrone captain. Um, uh, acknowledging that 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 he would have been up there, and he was a super player, Cormac McNallan. And he mm. was very. He was twenty four when he died, if I'm not mistaken. Like he yeah. was young, you know. And that's that's it's obviously sad. Anytime anybody dies, but uh, yeah, that was. I, mean, I always remember him, his passing, and the grief around that, and the the just yeah. the, it's just so. I think when someone goes suddenly like that, it's just a it's such a hard one to take. It is, and uh, you know, tragically enough lost another great sportsman uh only last week uh paul shefflin the brother of henry he um pretty similar circumstances um yeah. he just yeah he, he collapsed and unfortunately just didn't recover um you know a very young fit healthy young man with a with, you know the young family so it's just when these things happen it's like i said sad when anybody dies but when somebody dies suddenly at such a young age it's just nowhere to describe it only tragic yeah um and uh, up next, heartbreak and booze heard in the crowd in Paris as the Olympics for 2012 are to be given to London. Um, and, you know, to be fair to London, they ended up doing a good job in the end. But uh, boy, that French crowd were not happy. No, this is a great... I've, I've always loved this clip of, of Reeling in the Ears, different Reeling in the Ears clips. This one's right up there for me because the, the split screen of, like, showing Paris, Paris are the favourites, and then just, yeah, the reaction. I mean, what do you do? You've all come down to celebrate. You've all come down to that crowd waving your French flags and you don't get it like yeah. 
when you just got home, do you? Like, it's just awful. Yeah. Whereas the Londoners are just, uh, we're just delighted with life. Oh, yeah. they were uh, thrilled. Amy were... Beckham was hugging everyone. Yeah. And uh, did I, 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 this just passed me over, but uh, I, I may have seen this. It may have been a fever dream. Um, but did I read recently that a certain, like, in the next couple of years, one of the Euros, like the Euros, the football Euros, are being held in Ireland and England? Uh, yeah, well, not officially, but yeah. So, so there was a bid being prepared by essentially all of the UK and Ireland um, right. to host the Euros uh, in 2020, 2028. Okay. So six another, years time. Yeah, another good bit of way. Yeah. Um, and what came out this week was that there are no other rival bids, so it looks like we'll win by oh, default. Um, yeah, and then they've just got to build a stadium because as usual with these things, yeah. um, uh, you know, the UK are coming fully prepared and going, we have this stadium, we just need to like put a door here and a you know, change some seats here and Ireland are going, we have this field. Mm. We have we an abandoned... Field somewhere, uh, or we have a derelict stadium in Antrim. Case yeah, yeah. And we, we could definitely do that up. Like there's grass growing out of, out of the steps and the <laughs> terraces. Like, you know, like... Uh, so yeah, I think we're the poor relation of that. But that apparently that is yeah, it hasn't been officially given to us. But uh, it looks like we're going to be the only, the wow. only bid. So uh, that's going to be know, a yeah. fucking incredible. I, like I cannot wait to not qualify for that tournament. <laughs> and um, the uh, so the next day after they announced the 2012 Olympics to be given to London, tragedy strikes. Uh, so as suicide bombers detonate bombs on London's transport system, killing 56 people. Several witness statements are given as we hear the devastation i remember this so so clearly um i think it was a thursday or seven seven i think it was a thursday uh yes it was a thursday um and yeah i remember seeing that on the news and i remember sky news were talking about how uh like because they had received um video footage from people on their mobiles and no mobiles weren't like as what they are now you know they were flip phones and really grainy camera footage but they were seeing this from people on the ground and i remember sky news actually talking about how revolutionary this is and they always had a banner going across the bottom going if you have any photos videos that are texted into this number um so it really changed i suppose from that point kind of really hit home that this is how the world is now um but i just yeah i remember those scenes of the bus roof been totally blown off and it was just, uh, it was horrendous. Yeah, it was. No, it really was. And it was, um, it was, uh, it was just so, I'm not going to say out of nowhere, because it was one of, we saw the Madrid attack last year and we saw mm. obviously 9-11 and they're all related. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this was, I mean, this was, uh, this was the era of, you know, anyone's a target. And yeah. if you were involved in the war in Afghanistan or you were, you know, seen to be supporting, Bush and in his campaign, you know, you were you were somebody somewhere was going to take liberties, and there was a real uh, extremism to uh, to these guys. And I was reading about these guys last night, the four the four bombers, um, you know, just lived all lived regular lives. Not one of them had come to the attention of police before for anything. So they were just they had just been radicalized in terms yeah. of their religion, but they were living normal lives. One was a student, the other three were working. You know, the three older guys had families you know, kids, yeah. whatever. And they decided that it was worth ending their lives to take some British people with them because Britain were involved in, 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 as they saw it, you know, atrocities in, 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 in you know, Muslim countries. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And I think uh, the other thing that struck me as well, I always had it in my head that more people died. Like obviously one death. Yeah, so many, did I. But it, it wasn't compared to 9-11, obviously it was, no. it was only a fraction. When you think yeah. about bombing, bombing, you know, the tube and, 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 uh, 
and and a bus like you know at rush hour it's kind of you expect that more people would have would have uh would have passed away but yeah it was still it was still shocking i remember it well um mm. and i guess because it's so close to here as well like obviously yeah was, you know we're very tied to britain in terms of that and, and uh it would have been very shocking here as well and and there's always been this thing of like i know we're it's in the news at the minute but we're neutral uh but you know yeah. we're, we're obviously a western country and you know you you'd have there'd have been a thought at that point of like is dublin a, could dublin be a target could there be yeah. you know radical extremists within dublin um, and yeah, just wouldn't know you know yeah. who, who, who just see the way we, we you know life was being lived and particularly the decadent times that they were yeah. uh you know just yeah just uh it was it was one of those eras it was weird you know again i'm a teenager so I, again we're in that era where i remember it but yeah we weren't watching the news all the time and fully aware of it all but uh but yeah it was uh yeah it was definitely a definitely a shocking event and you know what the only thing i remember from it um i suppose learning about it years later is so I know I tend to tie a lot uh, of what we, you know, what we're learning about or whatever here, I suppose, back into, you know, wrestling. But um, so at the time, uh, you know, WWE was broadcast on Sky uh, One in Ireland and the UK on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. to 12. Um, but it was filmed in the States on Thursdays. So at the, the day that this happened, so uh, WWE were filming their, you know, taping Smackdown and the uh, on the episode, uh, the Undertaker was taking on a character called Davari. Now, Davari, oh, yes, yeah. So Davari was teamed with a guy called Muhammad Hassan, who was playing this radical Muslim character, which was edgy enough for the time. Um, but what happened at the end of SmackDown was that the Undertaker was attacked by a group of masked men who were alongside, you know, uh, Hassan and Davari um, after the Undertaker had beat the living shit out of Davari. Um, so these masked men came down and choked the Undertaker with piano wire. Um, and they then did uh, some sort of prayer or circle or something anyway, that was basically saying, you know, that they're associated with the San or whatever. And they carried out Davari like a martyr. And so they did this on the Thursday not knowing what had happened in England that morning, or maybe did know, but, you know, didn't give it a second chance. But they had to scramble to cut that from the initial broadcast um, in the UK. Because, I mean, how on the nose is that? Sure, yeah. No, absolutely. You know, and they did eventually succeed, and but there is obviously still footage of it out there, which, you know, it's not by today's standards graphic or anything like that, but given the context of what had happened that morning in London was just, just, you couldn't write it. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, next, World Cup qualifier, funny enough, we're just talking about the Euros, uh, as Ireland take on France and Thierry Henry hits a stunning goal uh, from outside the box, giving, given no chance of saving it uh, as Ireland fails to qualify. And as a result, Brian Kerr is shown the door. So uh, yes. that was, that was the end of Brian Kerr. That was the end of Brian. Yeah, uh, disappointing for him. It was a disappointing campaign overall. It was one of those ones where, like a lot of Irish football campaigns over there, they just drew a lot of games. Mm. Um, so I think it says it in there that draws the the with big Israel, one with this. Yeah. So yeah, so this was a group where there were six teams in it, um, uh, and it was all very tight between France, Switzerland, Ireland, and and, and Israel, but. Israel obviously were the weakest of those four, but we managed to draw with them twice, including throwing away a 2-0 lead at home. Yeah. Um, and they were really the killer results because France 
France had been, you know, world champions in '98, European champions, and I mean, they've, they've got Henri, you know. They, yeah, they, but they would get this team would go on and get to the final of this yeah. World Cup in 2006. So, a spoiler alert for next week, but uh, you know, it's um, it was a good, good side. We lost them by the odd goal. The Ireland team then was 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 very good. All Premier League players, Roy Keane to come back, albeit he was he was um, you know coming to the end of his career, but. You know, it was a tight group, and, and 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 Ireland didn't win any of the big games they needed to win, and that was Brian Kerr's big, yeah. big failing. Um, you know, had he won even one, uh, we certainly would have made a playoffs. Had they won two uh, of any of the games with Israel, France, and Switzerland, they I think they would have topped the group, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, and actually qualify for that World Cup. And that was a good Ireland side. You know, you've got Duff and Keane, Robbie Keane, that is, you know, as kind of mid twenties, Duff was winning leagues with Chelsea, Robbie Keane yeah. banging in goals. You had Roy Keane still there. As I said, he'd come back. Um, and a lot of just really like solid players, like Shay Given was a really good Premier League player, Richard Dunn, uh, Ian Hart, like these kind of guys who, you know, were all very solid players, had been to the World Cup four years before. So had the experience and, and actually, you know, Ireland, Ireland should probably should have qualified for that tournament or certainly should have got to the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so it was an opportunity missed and, and Brian was, uh, was shown the door Um and uh, and uh, yeah, then we entered the the, the Steve Staunton banter era. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot there was a bridge between <laughs> Kerr and Trapattoni. Yeah, yeah, it's coming down the tracks. All right, oh, yeah. Good Lord, derail that train. Yes. Um, and uh, meanwhile, in keeping with soccer, an end of an era as Roy Keane hangs up his boots at Man United after disagreements with Sir Alex. I'm starting to see a pattern here, Roy. Um, <laughs> I, I I'm, I'm right saying he went to Celtic after this. Yeah. So they, so basically. His, his contract was cancelled, um, so he went to he went to uh, he went to Celtic. So yeah, he he um, he yeah. He, there was disagreements with Ferguson, but I think I think there was a bit of you know Keane's thirty four here, uh, or getting on for thirty four. No, he was thirty four. Yeah, because he's he's seventy one, so he was thirty four. At that time, Chelsea were the dominant team, and Alex Ferguson was rebuilding. He'd signed Cristiano Ronaldo. He'd signed Wayne Rooney. Uh, he was trying to build the next great team, which he would go on to build, and they would go on to win three leagues in a row, win a Champions League a couple of years later. Um, and he was moving on some of the older players, and he was keeping some of them. Ryan Giggs was still there, uh, um, Solskjaer was still there, Paul Scholes was still there, but Keane was coming to the end of you know being a top level player, and uh, he was obviously always very opinionated, and he uh, and he voiced his opinion after. He was yeah. injured and he voiced his opinion on MUTV, which was their TV channel. Imagine having a TV channel like Oh God. The notions. Anyway, uh he voiced his opinion. That. He was he, so basically what it was that injured players were used to come on and do punditry. Yeah. On this channel. And obviously it was very centric, uh, you know, for that team. And it was very much a, a, a you know, a soft bat. You just, you know, you didn't go too hard on them. And Keane, they lost four one to Middlesbrough and Keane stuck the absolute boot into the players and was criticizing uh, Rio Ferdinand saying he was too flash and he didn't train hard enough and you know whatever else it was and uh, that was the excuse used to get rid of him my theory is that I mean Ferguson knew he needed to move him on at the end of the year anyway it was a good chance to move him early uh, and, and just set about progressing the team without him because he knew that you know his next great team wasn't going to feature a 36 37 year old Roy Keane yeah. you know, his day was done um, so they parted ways and he went to Celtic. Yeah, but he's he's always harbored a, a, a you know, unsurprisingly for Roy Keane, he's always harbored a small grudge, I think, about uh, the way he was treated. And oh, to yeah. be fair, with some, as the guy says, you know, he had 12 and a half years there. He became a club legend. He led them brilliantly. He was their best player for a couple of years. 
you know, he, he deserved more than to be booted out. But that's sport. I mean, that, that happens that's to everybody. Nobody, very, very, very few people get to go out the way they want to. That's very true. Um, and uh, speaking of not going out the way you want to, controversy up next is Willie O'D plays with his big guns. Uh, the now infamous photo of O'D pointing a gun at a camera was everywhere. Uh, Willie gets an awful slagging from TD Joe Higgins, who asks, uh, did the Minister for Defence leave his weapons at the door? Awful, <laughs> grueling. Yeah, I mean, what? Like this is one of those classic, like, what was he thinking? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just it, the picture is so perfect. Like it's just it <laughs> the it little is. smirk on his face and his beady little eyes. Yeah, beady eyes peering down the peering down the uh, the lens of the camera. Just um, yeah, it was just it's perfect, really. Um, but yeah, just just yeah, just why why Willie why? Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it just it was just so silly. And I like Joe Higgins absolutely nailing him with that. That was very funny. Um, and even Mary yeah. Harding was getting a good chuckle. Oh, out of she that. got a great <laughs> laugh off it in her lovely yeah. little blouse. He Willie did not look amused. No, no, my God, no. he was just he was like fuck's sake. I knew this would come back to haunt me. Yeah, well, you know, should have been an idiot. Uh, True. But look, this is. Uh, this is life. Um, yeah, so yeah. yeah, I don't know. It was very, very funny. I, I really, enjoyed, I enjoyed this. Uh, and yeah, because didn't he? Didn't he? Um, I mean, he basically this kind of ended him. I mean, I know he yeah. carried on, and, and and you know, I think he was reelected, but like he was so popular down in Limerick. But just Minister for Justice, you're from an area where there was a big gang war going on at the time, yeah. and you're 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 you know pictured doing that. It just. No, it's not a yeah. great look. Not no. a great look for us, for the country, or for the the army. No, no. <laughs> um, and uh, speaking of not a great look for the country, Eddie Hobbs with the foreshadowing lying of the century. Do you feel house prices are a ripoff? Yes, absolutely. Um, I love how though when the recession came, Eddie Hobbs went right. Fuck this, I'm out, and he was just never seen again. Like in the boom, he was like, things are too expensive. Things are too expensive. Then when we couldn't afford anything, he was like, right, I'm off to live on my house by Rabbit Island in West Cork. Yeah, so uh, yeah, Eddie. Eddie, I think uh, at the time. So Eddie, Eddie is a financial advisor. That's his day job, as you can probably tell. But yeah. uh, I think he, I think he made some poor advisements, uh, and yeah. therefore kind of undermined himself. Undermined himself. So uh, he was living the good life here, though. Like this is, you know. It, but it was like it's like the world's worst Daniel Bryan impression. Like he's trying to get the crowd to shout yes, and it's just <laughs> yeah, like yeah. you know. They sound so bored. He's oh, like, yeah. And do you think that uh, you know the, the price that you think the prices have gone through a rip off? Yes, it's like oh my <laughs> god, like please, Eddie. You're losing him. You're losing him, uh, Eddie. You're losing. You're losing him here. But this was, uh, yeah, he was. He was everywhere at this time. Like this, the the the, the Celtic Tiger was great for a lot of people, but it was fucking great for Eddie Hobbs. Oh yeah, and I mean, I used to I remember uh, Andrew Maxwell when I used to watch the panel. Andrew Maxwell had a great line where it was like, I love when he comes out and he's like, you know, I'm Eddie Hobbs. I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> it is. Um, and the people at Mayo were out in protest as they rally against plans to build a gas pipe offshore five men are jailed for contempt of court as they uh, ignore legal undertakings to leave the pipe alone um under and after 94 days in prison the rossport five are freed i loved uh, one of the wives lines where it was like you know hundreds of years ago we were told to hell or to connect so we went to connect now we've been sent back to hell uh like there's st- it's still a contentious issue to this day the whole shell oil pipeline um you know it's 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 very uh, obvious that uh, it's just not wanted in, in the town of Rossport. No, yeah, and I think with good reason because again, this is one of those clips I've seen a lot. Um, but 
you know, didn't really understand what it was. I kind of had an idea, but didn't really understand what yeah. it was uh, that they were against. And yeah, it's to do with the refining of oil and bringing the gas in um, or bringing the pipeline and it's unrefined coming in and therefore it's going right through where these people live and uh you know that's not a good thing when you're trying to raise families and you don't know what this and this you know we've seen this throughout the years repeatedly there was the nuclear thing in one of the 70s episodes um, yeah you'll remember that and, and and there was one in cork where i remember a quote from somebody saying you know what you're asking us to do is keep a bomb within our midst i think it was yeah asbestos do asbestos but anyway the point being this happens repeatedly like again i was talking about the history repeating itself um yeah this is great and like this is um real public defiance here with the lads get carted off to jail oh yeah they uh they they like five out lads as well like do you know what i mean they normally when you see like young you know protesters they're a bit younger but no these five out fellas now were you know they were like the bull mccabe like not on my land um and uh we opened up our podcast last year with shots of the ballymun flats being built now we see them being torn down full circle uh we see the developments of modern houses at adamstown on the site of the fatima mansions uh one child however takes bertie to task where's me fucking swings bertie (laughs) (laughs) he wasn't letting bertie away no Not at all. And Bertie was like, okay, yeah, sure. Okay, well, it'll take a couple of years. And he's like, yeah, but all my focus wings now. All right, okay. Um, yeah, it was kind of a, I don't know, monumentous occasion, I suppose, seeing the high rises come down and in place of these, um, like what's actually on the site now? Because I don't, I don't Dublin. So what's on the, um, where the, like those flats were? Is it just all random houses now? Yeah, I think they're just built more modern, um, you know, like uh, houses uh, rather than having the flats, uh, which I think have become kind of unsafe. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, it was there, but they're iconic. Obviously, we saw, I mean, we saw them being built in the 60s. You remember the the one of the episodes, they were going out to the new town of Ballymun, yeah. one of the early 60s episodes and all these people coming out from the inner city. And uh, obviously, you know, it was an area that... Uh, you know, was devastated by by the heroin epidemic and all the rest of it. But uh, I think the I think the demolition of the flats was seen at the time, as you see from some of the quotes here, like um, as as real progress for the area, um, as they kind of modernised uh, the area. And it is. I mean, look, it's Ballymun is nothing like what it's portrayed as, um, yeah. and probably still known as unfairly by a lot of people. But uh, it's um, it's uh, yeah, it was it wasn't iconic. But I loved the eleven year old kid being like, "No, but Bertie, listen." like we need the playground now before you start going building things and that's true because you know these things happen it happens all the time uh you know where these things are built with no no facilities at all we've seen it repeatedly and really in the years uh you know things get built with it so you know he was dead right Uh, young sean who is now i suppose he's not so young because he's probably about nearly 30 at this this point but uh uh, yeah, he was uh, he was dead right to take Bertie's task. Not that Bertie listened to him in any way. Oh, no. I don't believe, but uh, maybe he did. Maybe maybe they got the playground there. But uh, by and large, I don't think anyone listened. Yeah, but Bertie probably tried to sell him on the Bertie Bowl. Was like, look, look if it's a playground you want, it's a big one in the Bertie Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in speaking of which, the construction boom continues this year as eighty one thousand homes are built. Uh, however, there has been a three hundred percent increase in house prices over the last ten years, and we also see the notions of the no- highest notions as foreign properties are on display at a foreign property fair. Uh, Eddie Hobbs then weighs in on as he jokes about the potential of someone buying a house in New Zealand. Um, I just, yeah, I remember foreign properties being like you had them. Um, oh God, what was that show with Catherine Thomas? No, was it No Frontiers? Oh, No Frontiers, yeah, which is still going in a, just as what? a holiday show. But, uh, but yeah, it was... Uh... 
Yeah. So, so, so it's, it's something like that is going. I don't know if she's still on it, but uh, yeah, it's, it was just like you know, oh, like let's go out here and look at this house that you could buy for X amount, and it's like I can't even buy a house here for X amount. You know, it wouldn't go down, wouldn't go down too well these days. I don't think. No, uh, no, not really. But this is this is really interesting, right? Um, from the point of view of um, the, the the narrative of this this series of reeling in the years. So obviously, we've seen the first five years of it now, or when you include two thousand, so six episodes. So, um, the the these are the most until the last year's you know new episodes. These were the most recent ones that were made. They were made in twenty ten right when the country was in the middle of the recession and yeah. the fallout from the Celtic Tiger. So it's very pointed, the narrative throughout the series about how, but it's really cleverly done because it's been showing us for the last few years, the political side of it and how the government were increasing spending. And Charlie McCreevy was calling people left-wing pinkos and ignoring <laughs> people. And Bertie was ignoring people's warnings and all this kind of thing. And now we're subtly changing. So we've seen over the last few years, we started to see the consumer side of it the beauty treatments and the things people are starting to spend their money on. And in this episode now, we're fully focused on Irish people have lost a run of themselves. Yeah. So the government enabled it and now we've lost a run of ourselves. The, the, the house building isn't that big an issue. That was a little piece, but it's the it's the foreign property. Like foreign property just became, you have to have it. And if you don't have the money, you just borrow because the bank are going to give you a 100% loan. Oh, yeah you know, initially a cheap interest rate. So you can just go and you're being sold this place in the back hours of Croatia and being told you will be able to rent this out 50 weeks a year and you can take your two weeks holidays in summer and it'll all be hunky-dory. And then so many people bought without ever going to the place. And then years later would go out and realize that there was nothing around it. They're just empty apartments and nothing, no facilities, not even a road in some cases up to the house or the apartment. You know, like this is the level that people were, were dealing with. They were going to these fairs and some people were buying off plants, buying off spec and people who would never have had enough to buy a second property, you know, yeah. uh, but for the availability of the, uh, of the easy and cheap mortgage and, and lax, you know, uh, due diligence on people, how whether people could afford the repayments and all the rest of it. And uh, yeah, this is really, this is the episode where I went, Ireland has officially lost the run of itself here in 2005. Yeah. We were always on the way to it, but now we're, 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 we're in the midst of, we've run, run away with it. And, and I know I've seen the 2006 episode. It's one of my favorite episodes. I've seen it so many times. I know what's coming and it's peppered throughout that episode, the different things that Irish people were doing uh, that just, even now when we've recovered and as I said, there's different things going on around the world now, but like, you know, we're now in a boom again, or we were in a boom. Uh, and, you know, there was a bit of notions creeping in. It'll never be like it was because the Celtic Tiger was literally people acting insanely. Um, and, and, you know, that is, uh, that is not going to be repeated, but it's just, it's just, it's really interesting to see. Yeah. Fingers, uh, fingers crossed we've learned our lessons and we're not going to be buying any houses out in uh, the back house of Croatia. No. Um, I do, yeah, I do know a few people now who've, uh, you know, who've bought, uh, I suppose, or, you know, their parents own or their grandparents own, like, property, uh, you know, somewhere in the middle of, like, Spain. And, you know, while it's, like, nice, it's warm, it's sunny, 
it's miles from anywhere and you're not going there from holiday unless you've got your own car to get you around just i can't imagine an ideal return on investment you know it's great to say no. you own somewhere like that but yeah actually, and that's if if it's a case where you could just afford to have a second home a holiday home and you choose to have it in spain and you're not expecting people to stay there and pay you rent but a lot of the people who are buying at these fairs the whole idea was okay you, you know you can't afford to have a second property that just sits idle but don't worry about that because it'll be rented out every week of the year for the whole year and then you could just decide when you're going to come over for your few weeks in the summer yeah. and that just wasn't the case in the vast majority because most of them as you say were in the back arse of nowhere where people aren't going like you're only going there because you own an apartment there <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean uh, but you know yeah just uh, just madness and uh, and uh, a lot of but it was a keeping up with the Joneses thing it was like okay well Johnny down the road's after buying a house in Bulgaria so now we have to go and buy one in and where will we buy it oh we'll buy it we'll buy it in, uh, in, in you know outside Belgrade and it's like weren't that war five years ago ah well it's fine now you know there's a, the sea is an hour away you know it's just this kind of stuff <laughs> of like where can I buy and as Eddie Hobbs is saying there you know the trend was getting further and further to different places and wherever the buzz was and you know it was just like you had to have one if you didn't have a holiday home you were just what were you even doing you know because everyone was making money in the Celtic Tiger or so they were pretending to be anyway yeah, they were all keeping up the uh, keeping up the appearances. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so that's going to bring us to the end of this episode. Um, so before we leave, um, we'll we'll go around between ourselves. So if you were to bring any three people from tonight's episode to a dinner party, who would they be and why? Okay, um, so the three people that I would bring to uh, the dinner party. So the first person is going to be Steve Fawcett, the guy who set the the world record. So he was part of the duo who flew. Oh, yeah. replicated the transatlantic flight and then he said he flew around the world non-stop um mostly because i felt sorry for him that the first thing that happened to him when he got out was that he just got soaked head to toe <laughs> in champagne by richard branson so um bring him along we won't pour he can just wear his normal clothes and we won't pour any champagne on him unless he wants us to so uh so we'll um we'll get him we'll get him on board uh so that's uh that's uh steve fawcett the the second person i think that i will bring um would will be uh yeah i'm gonna have to bring captain tom again uh i just love that man i know i brought him in a it was 2003 that he appeared the last time um but uh but yeah he just the man loves his tall ships and i yeah. very much enjoy the tall ships as well and you know i think anytime he shows up but this probably is the last time he'll show up uh but i'll bring uh i'll bring captain tom mccarthy again and then the last person that i'm going to bring is the 11 year old who questions percy uh, Sean Mulvaney, I have his name written down as here. Uh, again, you know, fair play to Sean. Uh, didn't waste his, you know, five minute fame and actually asked some constructive questions. And I hope he's, I'm not going to look it up because I don't want to ruin the illusion. Uh, but I, I hope Sean is involved, like in local politics or something. And he's, you know, he's kept that questioning nature and he's not taken uh, any shit off any politicians. So, uh, so yeah, they're the three I'll bring. Excellent. No, I like, yeah, I like her style. Um, so I've picked, first of all, the uh, the Balliers kid. Um, and uh, also Willie O'D uh, and his gun. He has to bring the gun because it looks cool. I just want to ask him what the hell were you thinking? Um, and then finally, Eddie Hobbs, just so I can give him a fucking smack uh, and just be like, what the fucking hell were you thinking? Um, so that is going to do it from us this week. Um, so we hope you enjoyed this episode. I've been, uh, I've enjoyed myself sitting back here and drinking. Drinking a few. What was I drinking tonight? Uh, 
Brewdog. Uh, I got it in a hamper. It's a session IPA. I know nothing about craft beer, but I've been enjoying myself down in this that is, that is a good one. Yeah, I, it I is. do enjoy that. I had another one as well called Yellow Belly. Uh, not great. Not great. But, uh, Yellow Belly is a Wexford beer, as, as I, the name I, suggests. As the name yeah. suggests, indeed. Yeah. Um, so if you want to keep up with what we're doing, and of course, if you want to follow us on Twitter, because we will be putting up that video of the Dancing Blue Pandas, um, <laughs> you can be sure to follow us on Twitter at R-I-Y-E podcast. We will be there and we will be back as always next week with um, the year. So next week will actually be the day after Paddy's day. So I'm sure I won't be too hungover. What about you, Simon? Uh, no, I don't. I don't envisage uh, Paddy's day being too being too wild. So uh, no, I think mm. um, I think I'll be good to go. Uh, but I'll I'll uh, <laughs> let's see how we are. Yeah, it's we- a long time. Exactly, we'll play it by ear. Um, so as I said, if you want to keep up with us, we're at uh, R-I-Y-E Podcast on Twitter. Next year, we'll be back reviewing the year that was 2006. So thank you always, as uh, once again, for listening. Uh, we're sorry we were gone for so long, but we're back now for, for a steady run of things. Um, and once again, thank you very much to Simon for joining me this week. Thank you very much, Kieran. Pleasure as always. Pleasure as always. And to you out there, thank you once again for listening. And as always, keep on reeling. Ding, ding, ding.